Hi, my name is Mike Herbster. I'm privileged to be the director of Southland Christian Camp Ministries. For over 25 years, Southland has centered itself around the ministry of preaching. We believe that God uses the foolishness of preaching to convict hearts and transform lives. Our prayer is that today's sermon would push you to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you listen, would you carefully evaluate your life in light of God's Word and take the appropriate action to grow in your walk with Him? We hope that you will enjoy today's message. while they were singing that song I cannot comprehend how Jesus Christ eternal God could be the sinner's friend do you know this love have you received this love is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior my goodness if not I'm so glad that you are here because you're going to hear an awful lot about the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in these few days, these few hours that we have together. If you have not received him as your Lord and Savior, oh, please do. Please do. Uh, you need him. You may not realize how much you need him, but you do. He came to make a way for you to be made right with God. And again, we'll, we'll talk much about that. Uh, well, my name is Andy, and it is my joy to get to be the, uh, the teacher and preacher of the Word of God here for us all over these next, what, two, a little more than two days, however long we're here, who knows how long we're here, but uh, I get to be that, and I'm so grateful for that opportunity that I have. Um, uh, I just want to be up front with you right off the bat, okay, uh, so you can put your expectations down uh, low. I am not the best preacher you will ever hear in your life. Some of you are really about to discover that, perhaps for the first time. I am not the best preacher you will ever hear, and I'm good with that. Listen, I have to hear me all the time, and I get tired of that, all right? But uh, uh, I can tell you this. You will never hear a, a better message, though, than the Lord Jesus Christ. And I make this promise to you. I am going to preach Christ to you. Um, it is my prayer that when you go back to your church, wherever that may be, uh, at the end of this winter retreat, as you start 2019, and your mom picks you up, or your dad, or your grandparent, or, or, or whoever there picks you up, and they say, or maybe someone in your church on this upcoming Lord's Day, hey, how was winter retreat? Oh, it was great. We had a great time. Uh, who was the preacher? You know, I can't remember his name, but he sure talked a lot about Jesus. That would be my desire. All right, that, and, I, and I'm, I'm not just saying that. that. That's my prayer. I have prayed that. I want you to leave with a greater love and a greater appreciation of the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the one who is with you all of your life, every day and every moment and every hour of this new year. How was 2018 for you? Was it a good year? Was it a bad year? Was it an eh type of year for you? I don't know. I can tell you what 2018 was for me. 2018 was the hardest year of my life. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. <laughs> Both my dad and my wife uh, were diagnosed with cancer in 2018. It's not something I wanted. Has cancer hit you or your family? I know it's happened to many of you in here. I wear a pink band, not because I like the color pink, but uh, I think it looks good on me. But anyway, uh, it's got my wife's name and my name on it. Uh, I love her dearly. She's here this week. She's not here tonight. Uh, but uh, I hope you can maybe at least see her, maybe uh, introduce yourself to her. But uh, Bren and I have been married for 17 years. And, uh, uh, but uh, she, back in March, it was, of 2018, that she was diagnosed with a stage three breast cancer, and a lot has changed in our life over this year. A lot of ups and a lot of downs, a lot of tears, um, a lot of fears as well. 
Some of you can very much relate to that. But I can tell you this. The Lord Jesus has not changed. Uh, This book has not changed. This has been a rock and a steadiness for me, for my life, for my family, my wife, my kids. Lord's given us three children uh, who we love very dearly. That's why as we come to these few hours, I'm not interested in entertaining you. I'm not that funny anyway, so uh, you can be thankful for that. Uh, I'm not interested in babysitting you. Oh, 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 no, no. Uh, I am here for one purpose, and that is to point you to Jesus Christ. I am here to open up the Bible and say, hey, look, this is what God said. This is what it means. Now fall down and submit to the king, both you and me. That's my desire. Uh, I have no, I have no shtick. Is that how you say it? I, I've got no, uh, I, I've got no special magic. I have the same thing you have. I have the Word of God and the Spirit of God who wrote this book, and the power is not in me. The power is in the book, and so let's just study the Word and let it do its work in life because this is what you need. And so that's my that's my desire. Uh, to show you um, uh, really a text of scripture that has been burning on my heart uh, since uh, the summer of this last year. Uh, and, that, and this is what we're going to do. We have seven times we're supposed to meet together uh, in, this, in this fashion. Seven times you're going you're gonna to be ready for this time to be done with me. But anyway, seven times. And all I want to do is being one passage of scripture seven times. It's found in the book of Ephesians. And I'd like you to go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians is in the New Testament. If you're not familiar with your Bible, that's okay. Uh, maybe you, uh, someone can help you there. It's in what we call the New Testament, the second part, if you will, of the Bible. Ephesians chapter 4. What is an Ephesian? It was a person who lived in the city of Ephesus, really more Turkey today, uh, the, the country of Turkey. Now, uh, th- more specifically, the Christians... The Ephesian Christians living in the city of Ephesus in the first century. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, so what I want to do tonight, tomorrow, and Wednesday, is every time we gather, you're already going to know where we're going to be. Ephesians 4. Tonight, Lord willing, we're going to look at verses 17 through 21. And then tomorrow morning, we're going to pick up in verse 22. And we're just going to continue to work our way through as we look towards 2019 and uh, what what God demands, requires, expects, and so forth of us. So if you have a ribbon in your Bible, maybe you'd like to put that there, or if you have uh, another bookmark of some sort, or, (laughs) or maybe you still have that church bulletin that you have in your Bible since April. It's still in there. You may want to put that in there. Whatever you have, uh, you'll at least know where we will be every time we gather. All right. Let me read our text for us here tonight. I'd like to begin in verse 17. Uh, The scripture says this, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, we do come in Jesus' name and we need the Holy Spirit to do his work of opening our eyes to see. Uh, Holy Spirit, you have been sent specifically to teach us of Christ, to open up the Bible. We cannot understand the Bible if you don't reveal it to us, Holy Spirit. Uh, So do what we cannot do. 
do what you've been sent here to do. We expect it. We, we, we need it. We need you. And so I pray you help us to understand and give us grace to believe and to obey. For the glory of God alone and always, I ask this, amen. It was my privilege to serve as a youth pastor in Indiana, uh, where we live, in my church for 13 years. And I love, love teaching the Bible to teenagers. Uh, I enjoy um, interacting with teenagers. Teenagers are a lot more fun than adults, I'll be real honest with you. Uh, maybe I, because I understand still in my mind, uh, I feel like I've never really grown up. But anyway, one thing I like about teenagers is you ask big questions. You ask questions adults won't ask. But you, and, and, and it's a great, and you ought to ask big questions. Uh, you demand, you deserve to be heard. And I would say this, ask any question you want of the Bible, because the Bible does have the answer. Anything that's going on in your life, ask, well, what I want to do tonight is I want to begin by asking a very big question. In fact, it may be a question you have asked yourself before, or maybe you've asked someone else this question before, but I want to begin with this very big question. Have you ever asked yourself this? Why is our world so messed up? Have you ever asked that question? It's a good question to ask. Okay, why do we hurt one another? Let's get really real really fast. Why is there so much sexual abuse in our world? Have you asked this question? Why can't we stop school shootings? Why is there gang violence? Why in almost 2019 is there still racial injustice in the United States of America? I mean, come on. How about throughout the world? It's not just here. Why is there human trafficking, and kidnapping, and selling of children? Why is there shoplifting? Why are we so mean? Why do we hate? Why do we discriminate? Why are we biased? Why do we shame? Why do we seek revenge? Why do we bully? Why do we blame and blackmail? Why do we cheat? Why do we steal? Why do we get so impatient with one another? Why do we verbally abuse and physically abuse? Why do we deceive? Why do we destroy? Why, do we, why does it feel so good to make other people feel so bad? These are important questions. Why is the world the way it is? Why are we this way? This is an important question because if you can discover why the world is the way it is, then you can see clearly how to fix it. So now today, the experts, and I don't know who they are, but the experts tell us the world is this way because we lack information. Have you heard this is actually what we're being told? It, in fact, it goes something like this. Man's problems can all be fixed if we just give proper education. Uh, a popular frontier novelist, Louis L'Amour, one of my personal favorites, I don't know if you ever read him, but uh, Louis L'Amour put it this way, quote, where there is understanding, there is no hate, end quote. Where there is understanding, there is no hate. Let me rephrase what he said. He was saying this, you eliminate hate when you educate. Now that's what we're being told today, and it sounds good, but is that true? Well, I'll let you be the judge of that. If our problem today, why we are so mean, why we hurt and all this other stuff, if it's because we lack education, let's educate. What have we done in our world today? Well, let's inform the public about the atrocities that are happening in the world. And we do that. And let's threaten consequences to anybody who doesn't follow or doesn't uh, conform to that. Uh, what we also do is we pass laws against discrimination. This is a form of education. We want people to know what's illegal. We highlight uh, diverse opinion. We celebrate diverse culture. And we silence opposition. 
The people who have been hurt and victimized, let's give victims a voice. Let's hashtag the movement. Let's raise awareness. Let's hire celebrities to do television commercials to end bullying and to shred hate. Okay? So what we do, let's, let's praise transparency. Let's reward acceptable behavior. Let's encourage self-expression. Let's preach tolerance and wholeness and oneness and peace and self-love and speaking your truth. And it's also wonderful, and it is all designed to stop evil. Now, I'm not saying that any of this education is wrong. I'm not even saying that we shouldn't do it. I think it is good when we find out what is going on and things that are in the darkness need to be brought out so those who are guilty can be brought to justice. So I'm not saying any of this is wrong, but I dare you, young man, young lady, ask this question. Has any of this education fixed our problem? Ah, ask the question. For all, we are the most informed society in the history of humanity. We have information at our fingertips. You got more information on your phone and access to information on your phone than all the other generations in history combined. And yet we're still just as angry, just as petty, just as intolerant, just as hateful, just as racist, just as bigoted. For all our education, for all our hashtagging, ah, for all of our advancement, for all our modern awareness, we are no better. Because the problem of man is not lack of education. The problem of man is himself. Can I tell you why the world is this way? Man is this way. Woman is this way. Man is full of darkness, and until we honestly face ourselves, the world will continue and the evil will continue as it has been going. But we are not interested in being honest with ourselves. Oh no, we'd rather blame a medical condition, or we'll blame background, or their culture, whoever there is, you know. Uh, we'll blame politicians. Uh, we'll blame whoever's in power. Uh, we'll uh, blame oppression and so forth. We don't want to be honest with ourselves, but thankfully, the Bible is honest with us. The Bible is honest with humanity and our darkness. And here in Ephesians 4, the apostle provides a blistering expose of man's deepest, darkest problem. Here in Ephesians 4, and particularly our text tonight, here is the reason why the world is so messed up. Here is the reason why this world is getting no better. We're going to find out there are three reasons why the world is this way. And then gloriously, we're going to see how Christ is the answer to all three of them. So what are the reasons the world is so messed up? Okay, I'm not making it up. Come straight out of here and you can see it. The world is messed up, number one, because of the vanity of man's mind. Number two, the world is messed up because of the darkness of man's understanding. And number three, the world is messed up because of the greediness of man's conduct or behavior. Now you say, uh, Andy, I didn't get that. It's okay. I'm going to say it again. You can see it in the Bible. All right? So let's look at these three reasons why the world is so messed up and why Jesus is the answer. Number one, the world is messed up because of the vanity of our minds. The vanity of man's mind. Look at verse 17. This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Here it is. In the vanity of their minds. Ah, the world has gone wrong because man's 
mind has gone wrong. And of course, when we talk about the mind, we are talking about the whole personality of man. Because your mind, young people, don't, doesn't just uh, control your thinking. Your mind controls your feeling. Your mind controls your acting, controls your desiring, controls your wanting. Your mind controls all of you. And what is the problem with our mind? Vanity. Emptiness. Pointlessness. Meaninglessness. Futility. Here in Ephesians 4 is a picture of man living for what is meaningless. Living for what is empty. Now that's what the Bible says. But is that true? Okay. Now you're at camp tomorrow, so you're not going to be watching bowl games, you know, on the on college football games tomorrow. But uh, if you were, or you go back home, when you go back home, turn on the television, and the television, in fact, every commercial you see is going to prove the Bible right. Think about it. Turn on the television, commercial comes on. I don't care what that commercial is selling, it's all selling the same stuff. And that is your happiness. It goes something like this. Buy this product, you'll be happier. Think about it. Wear our clothes, you'll be accepted. You'll feel more comfortable. You'll look sexy. You'll be you. Whatever that means. (laughs) Install our home security system, you'll be safer. Uh, Drive our car, you'll be the envy of the neighborhood. Drink our beer. You'll forget your troubles and look amazing too. (laughs) Take our pill. You'll feel better. You'll perform better. You'll be less depressed. You'll have more energy. Watch our movie. You'll be thoroughly entertained. You'll be thoroughly dazzled. You'll be thoroughly horrified. You will be thoroughly uh, uh, laughing. That doesn't sound right, but you know what I'm saying. And then you can buy our soundtrack and you can sing just like us. Listen to our music. You'll know better how to express who you truly are. Purchase our phone. You'll have even greater power at your fingertips than that other company. Oh, I like this one. Obey our program. The pounds will melt off your body. Follow our advice, you'll make more money quicker and easier than you ever thought possible. And even the more serious commercials, join our cause. You'll be a more humane person. You will feel better about yourself. You will make a difference. Need I go on? We are consumers who are consumed with what promises fulfillment. It promises satisfaction. It promises meaning. But in the end, it's always a cruel joke. Now, it does provide some temporary happiness, else we wouldn't fall for it. But in the end, it is never enough. It fails to deliver. Now, I talked about college football. We are near near the end of football season. Uh, Do we have any NFL fans here? Any NFL? That's professional football for all of you who don't know. Okay, good. No doubt you have your favorite team. We're just starting into the playoffs, okay? Uh, Very good. Well, uh, I have my favorite team. I live in Indianapolis. My Colts, my Colts, like I had anything to do with it, just barely made the playoffs last night. Woo. But I have one team that is decidedly my least favorite team of all. Now forgive me if this is your favorite team. I will pray for you. It is the New England Patriots. Yes, okay. Just get that out there. I think one reason I do not like them is because they're so good year after year after year. It may be jealousy, probably is. Of course the Patriots are led by their all galaxy, all-world, whatever quarterback, Tom Brady. Quite an athlete. In fact, he's going in the playoffs once again. He has been to, as the quarterback, he has been to eight Super Bowls. He very well may be in number nine this year. Please no. But he may be. 
Of the eight he has been to, you know how many he has won? Five. Five Super Bowl rings. One time he was asked, um, of all the rings you've won, which one is your favorite? Now, I'm, I'm interested in that. Which one's your favorite? You know what his answer was? The next one. Isn't that cool? That's an awesome answer. <laughs> the next one. Because I listen to that, you can hear that and say, wow, here's a man who is a driven man. He's driven to succeed. He's driven to achieve. He is driven to uh, accomplishment, driven to victory. And you would be right. He is a driven man and he should be a driven man. He should do his best in the God-given ability that he has. Of course, no begrudgment there. But I want you to notice something very subtle in his statement when he says, my favorite ring is the next one. You know what also this man is? He is driven for more you know what that means shockingly apparently five super bowl rings isn't enough it doesn't satisfy he's coming to the end of his career what's he going to do then now again he's a great great athlete and i think he should go for more as long as he has the ability but from any any measure of success tom brady has reached, for Americans, the absolute pinnacle. Think about it. The five Super Bowl rings. He's married to a supermodel. He's got be a beautiful family, uh, adoring fans all over the world. He has extreme wealth you'll probably never know about. He has worldwide fame, an enduring legacy. He is already called the greatest of all time. And yet, some years back, in a 60 Minutes interview, he confessed after he won his third ring. Listen to what he said. Quote, I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I, I think it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? End quote. Now, he's backtracked on that statement because it kind of blew up in his face when he said that. But what an admission. What a commentary on the Bible. You who say the Bible's an ancient book that has nothing to do with modern life. Uh, have you read it? What a commentary on the Bible. Success doesn't satisfy vanity emptiness in the end meaninglessness I don't begrudge this man's success he's quite an athlete and a humanitarian but he points out the truth of the Bible we are like children chasing pretty bubbles Ooh, there's a pretty bubble and we go for it and it pops oh there's another one <laughs> That's what our life is like in this world. Vanity of the mind, pointless, empty, meaningless. It's so pretty, but it's empty in the end. Now, it sounds an awful lot like King Solomon. Have you heard of King Solomon? He was in the Bible times, ancient world. Wrote a book near the end of his life called Ecclesiastes. I don't, don't try to spell that. That's a hard one. But Ecclesiastes. Read chapter 2 and verse 10 sometime. This is what... Solomon said, Whatsoever my eyes desired, I kept not back from them. I withheld not my heart from any joy. Wow. What a life. It sounds like an awesome life to me. Whatever I wanted, I said I got. Whatever I desired, I could, nobody could tell me no. Here is a man who had the ability and the authority to buy, to enjoy, and to do whatever his pretty little heart wanted. And nobody could tell him no. You say, man, I'd love that life. Read Ecclesiastes 2. I'm going to give you a synopsis. That's a fancy word that means a brief summary. In Ecclesiastes 2... This man who had an all-access pass to pleasure and self-fulfillment, he says he had nonstop entertainment, laughter, pools of water, wine, sexual freedom, children, cattle, 
silver, gold, royal treasure, music, personal servants, vineyards, gardens, beautiful houses. That is plural, by the way. Celebrity, worldwide celebrity status. He had every, I mean, he lived the American dream long before there was an America to dream about. And what was his response? Ecclesiastes 2.17, don't you miss this. Therefore, I hated life. All I have done under the sun has grieved me. It is all vanity, vexation of spirit. Wow. Ah, here you thought sex would make you happy. More porn, more nudity. How's that been for you? Did it bring lasting happiness? The eyes of man are never satisfied. You thought money would bring you freedom. Money, more money, bring me uh, uh, power and independence. The ability to do whatever I wanted to do. Well, more money, more problems. How many lottery winners wish they never would have won? You think fame or education or power or success or possessions or entertainment or sex, or drugs, or alcohol, whatever you think would be awesome life, will go after it all, and some of it's wonderful to pursue, other things are certainly sinful, but you go after any of that as the end goal of your life, and you will find what every other person has found throughout history, in the end it leaves you holding an empty bag. It never fulfills, it never satisfies because life apart from Christ isn't meant to satisfy and will not and cannot satisfy. There is no meaning. There is nothing but self-absorption. It takes from you and leaves you holding the empty bag. The world is messed up tonight because we are living in the vanity of our minds. We live for what does not satisfy. We live for our self-pleasure. All right, then you can say, well, Andy, then why do we keep doing it? Ah, I'm glad you brought that very question up. You need to ask these questions. If, if we're messed up because we're living in the vanity of our mind, why don't we just stop it? We can't just stop it. You know why? Number two, because of the darkness of our understanding. <laughs> Look at verse 18. Let me read it before I comment on it. Where did it go? Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of our heart. Here is the reason why modern man lives an empty, vacant life. He doesn't know what he's doing. She doesn't comprehend what's actually happening in her life. We are walking in the dark. We are not enlightened minds. We're darkened minds. Our understanding is dark and truly the God of this world has blinded our minds lest we should see, lest we should believe. So what you have here is Satan blinding or darkening the mind and the thinking of man. We're blindly stumbling along in the darkness of our own life. Now the, the scripture says this all throughout. Let me, let me point this out. This is fascinating to me. This may or may not be to you. Uh, I find it just thrilling but uh, uh, you take 1st John 1 5 and John 1 5 I love this you know what 1st John 1 5 says God is light in him there is no darkness at all John 1 5 the light shined into the darkness but the darkness did not comprehend it we didn't see it. We didn't get it. God shown the light of the world, Jesus Christ, who we are speaking of tonight into our dark world, but a thick veil has been draped across our minds. We do not clearly see the reality of life and death. We do not see the truth of the scripture. We do not see the importance of Christ and God. 
And this darkness is under Satan's power. It's his domain. It's known as the darkness. We are in the grip of the evil one. What does this lead to? Oh, you ready for this? You're about to be insulted. <laughs> Look at verse 18. It leads to two words, ignorance and blindness of the heart. Blindness, there is the word hardness. You know, because Satan has this veil that we don't understand what God is trying to teach us and God is trying to break through, it leads to us in our world ignorant and hardening of our heart. Ignorant. Isn't that like the ultimate slap in the face of modern man? Ignorant. I mean, no, them, them's fighting words. But the scripture says this. Uh, the Bible says in Romans 1, 22 and 21. Oh, don't miss this. I wrote it down so I wouldn't mess it up. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. But they became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. Oh, this is the ultimate insult to modern man. You claim you're not a Christian because you're an intellectual. You're a man of science. You're a man of reason. You're a man of philosophy or a woman of philosophy, depending on who you are. You don't have time for these fanciful tales, these supernatural events. Creator God. Uh, parting of the Red Sea. Uh, walking on water. Virgin birth. Resurrection from the dead. Come on, Andy. Modern scholarship and science has disproved all these things. Or are you still in your ignorance, Andy? Some of you are like that tonight. It's, it's, it's how you approach the Bible. Surely a thinking man cannot be expected to believe such things. That was actually the uh, understanding of who many people believe to be the greatest mind of our generation, physicist Stephen Hawking. Have you heard of Stephen Hawking? Now, unfortunately, I say tragically, my heart broke when I heard this. He died in 2018. Brilliant man smarter than I'll ever be. This is what he said. He said a lot, but this is one thing he said, quote, before we understand science, it is natural to believe that God created the universe, but now science offers a more convincing explanation, end quote. Now let me rephrase what he said, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm not twisting his words in any way. This is what he's saying. Those who believe in God aren't thinking. They're in the dark intellectually. Oh, but we who believe in science, we are the enlightened ones. Science is the God of many people today. Okay. But for all of his legendary intellect, our friend Stephen Hawking was duped by Satan. There was a veil put over his understanding. Most tragic of all, he is no longer tonight professing himself to be wise. He is no longer fooled. His eyes have been opened. But it is too late for him. Do you not see the master stroke and the brilliant deception of the enemy of our God? You say you're not a Christian because you have a brain. You are the enlightened one. But you do not see you do not understand. You have been duped. Satan has blinded your mind. Let me tell you, like our friend, brother, or like our friend Hawking, you cannot beat death. And after death comes the judgment. What if you've been wrong all along? What if the Bible has been right all along? There will be no more time to deal with it at that point. Now I want you to I want to make this point very clearly. This darkening of the understanding has nothing to do with mental ability. Like I said, people like these physicists, they are on a whole different level intellectually than I'll ever be. It has nothing to do with mental ability. It has to do with spiritual ability. 
Okay, go to the Grand Canyon. I've been there many times. The last time I went, I was discouraged. It is a beautiful place. But you cannot see the grandeur, the beauty, the breathtaking quality if a fog has rolled in. And that's what happened the last time I was there. It was there, but I couldn't see it. And there's nothing wrong with my ability to see. But the fog was there. So I couldn't see it. Even the brightest of intellects cannot see spiritual realities through the mist of spiritual darkness. The reason you do not believe in Jesus is because you currently have no ability to see and believe in Jesus. To put it another way, back here in verse 18, you are currently alienated from the life of God. Say, what does that mean? It means this, you have no spiritual life. You are spiritually dead. And dead people can't see. They need life in order to see. You don't have the life that comes from God. You are spiritually lifeless and dead. Oh, but a remarkable thing happens when God reaches down and saves you. When you become a Christian, the spirit of Jesus Christ comes to move and to live inside you. And now you have the life of God in your soul. God in you. This is Christianity. My friend, you don't take up Christianity Christianity takes you up. God moves in. God brings you to life. Regeneration. New life. And with this new life comes true enlightenment. Now you see what you never saw. Now you understand. Now you get it. Uh, I got to preach in a junior camp. Listen, have you ever taught juniors the Bible? You've never lived until you have done that. I was teaching juniors the Bible at a camp one summer, and I I think she was probably 10 or so years old. One night uh, I preached, and I preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and, uh, um, you know, and apparently the Spirit of God was at work in her heart, and either that night, or I think it was that night, maybe back in the cabin or whatever, she went to her counselor, and the counselor led her to Christ, and it was glorious, all right? I didn't know anything about that. So the next day, around lunchtime, here comes this counselor bringing this 10-year-old girl <laughs> with her. And she said, Andy, uh, you got a moment? I said, sure. She said, my, my camper wants to tell you something. I said, okay. And I said, what do you want to tell me? Uh, and she said, well, you know, uh, when you were preaching last night, uh, you preached about Jesus and salvation. She said, well, I, last night I asked Jesus Christ to save me. I said, oh, this is wonderful. How great. I made as big a deal as I possibly could because it is a big deal. You have passed from death to life. This is wonderful. And she said, it is. But you know what else, Andy? I said, what? She said, you know how uh, about mid-morning or so we have our God and I time, devotion time? I said, yeah. She said, well, we all gathered together and we all had to be reading the Bible and answer questions and so forth, kind of like what you're going to be doing, I think, tomorrow and so forth. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm aware. And she said, when I read the Bible today, I understood it. <laughs> wow. She said, I had never understood it before. 10-year-old girl, what had happened to her? The veil was lifted. The Bible was opening up to her. Now, she doesn't understand all of it. I don't understand all the nuances and the depths of it all. But I know a lot more now than I used to. The Bible's opening up to me. Question, young lady. Is the Bible opening up to you? How about it, young man? Is this an open book? Are you learning? Does this make sense to you? Or is the Bible a closed book? Do you sit here tonight and say, dude, I have no idea what he's all worked up about. I've got no clue what he's talking about. I mean, I kind of understand, but I don't really get it. Is that you? If so, look, I used to be there. But the Holy Spirit of God did something very special. In his grace, he worked into my heart brought me to faith in Jesus Christ. And now I have life. Now I understand. 
my friend, if you don't understand the Bible, I'm not talking all of it, but I'm saying it's just not opened up, up to you. you. You're alienated from the life of God. You're spiritually dead. You're spiritually darkened. Come to Jesus. Find actual enlightenment. All right, so here's how it goes. Why is the world so messed up? Well, we're walking in the vanity of our minds. Why are we walking in the vanity of our minds? Because our understanding is darkened. We don't get it. Well, what does this lead to? A greedy, self-absorbed existence. Welcome to the modern world. Ha, don't you sit there and say, I don't have time for the Bible. It doesn't speak to my life today. Oh, it has nailed us to the wall. Look at verse 19. Uh, if you wanted the actual words, it was the greediness of man's conduct or behavior. Look at verse 19. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. There's our word, greediness. You do what you do because you are what you are, or you think what you think. Verse 17, you pursue empty vanities because you are full of yourself. Verse 18, you are full of yourself because your mind is darkened and dead. Verse 19, so therefore the only one who matters in the end is you. In fact, it says you are past feeling. What does this mean? This means that certain people don't matter to you. Their desires, their time, their schedule, their pain, their reactions, their rules, their authority, their uh, whatever it may be, it doesn't matter to you. What matters to you is how you feel. What matters is, how, is what you want. Your conscience has been seared with the hot iron of selfish greediness. You are past feeling for them because you're full of feeling for you. Then he says, you've given yourselves over to lasciviousness. Oh, that's a frightening word. And all uncleanness. Let me just boil this down. This is an out of control morality. It's really immorality that has run, uh, run on. You don't control yourself. You don't discipline yourself. You have little concern for decency and morality. No fear of divine judgment. This is what it looks like uh, often for young people in uh, modern day America. The more you give yourself to yourself, the more outrageous your lusts become. There becomes a shameless and a brazen sensuality. Go online, look at social media posts and the pics and the porn. It's all about this shameless, brazen sexuality. The Bible was written, this verse was written 2,000 years ago for the 21st century. Oh my goodness. This is where we are. And the motive behind this behavior is the last word of verse 19, greediness. What matters is me. What matters is how good I must feel. It's all about me and my truth. I must have what I want. And the more of it, the better. So therefore, I take what I want, when I want, how I want, because I'm all I want. All right. That is why we keep hurting one another. That is why there's so much sexual abuse. That's why there's human trafficking and racism and discrimination and hatred that's why there's murder and war and suffering. That's why there is pain. That's why there's bullying and mistreating. That's why there is killing of other people. The world is messed up because we are messed up. That's the answer, young people. For all our education, for all our advancement, our world is getting no better. Man cannot fix man's problem because man is is man's problem. So what is the answer? We need a new humanity. We need new people. And here is the gospel. <laughs>
Here is where Jesus Christ steps in. God stepped in. This is Christianity. God would choose and call out from the old race of humanity an entirely new race of men and women from every ethnicity on the globe. And one by one, he would bring their dead minds to life. He would grant them faith in Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. He would enlighten their darkened minds. He would bring them the true knowledge of the gospel. And he would create in them new minds, new life, new understanding, new desires, new hope, new destiny, and yes, new behavior. And this ever-expanding group called the new humanity is supposed to astonish the old humanity. The old humanity is to look at the new humanity and say, oh my goodness, how did you get real justice? How did you come up with true love? and true peace, and true wholeness. We have been longing for this answer, and I see it in this group that gathers together. I see this in, what do you call yourselves? The, the, the church? This new humanity? I see it. How can I be in it? The new humanity that God brought and is bringing to this very day out of the old humanity. Let me ask you this question, young man. Are you a part of the new humanity? Young lady, has your darkened mind been brought to life? Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you have this new understanding, this new life? If not, why wouldn't you want an entirely new beginning? This is what Jesus offers you. He offers you a fresh start. He offers you a new beginning. He offers you something better than a reset button. He will remake you. He'll make you into someone you've never been before and will never be again. He died on the cross of Calvary to take away your spiritual death and to give you his life. So turn away from your old life and embrace this Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Come to him tonight. Now then, let's bring it home. You've done very well to stick with me all this time. Many of you here tonight say, uh, Andy, I'm already a Christian. I know I'm a part of this new humanity. I've received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I am in the, the church. I'm a Christian. I've been made alive. Wonderful. The apostle's whole argument is actually directed to you. Go back to verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you, Christian, henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind. The whole point of the apostles' argument is this. Christian, no longer walk or behave the way you used to behave. In the vanity of your mind. In the darkness of your understanding. In the greediness of your conduct. If it is true you have been made alive with a new life in mind, you should have new behavior. You should have new conduct. I like this word in verse 17, henceforth. That's a good word, isn't it? Say, yeah, if I only knew what it meant. Henceforth, what does this mean? Henceforth, in this word, we see the great power of the gospel. Henceforth means from this point on. Things are going to be different. That's what it means. It is, an ir is a word of separation. It is an irrevocable dividing line in the sand between the old humanity and the new humanity, between the non-Christian and the Christian, between the world and the church, uh, between the old man and the new man. Once you cross the line into salvation, nothing will be the same ever again from this point going forward. Henceforth, you have favor with God. Henceforth, you have pardon of sin. Henceforth, you have a new hope. Henceforth, you have a new destiny. Henceforth, you have a new love, a new master, a new power. Henceforth, you have new desires. Henceforth, you should and must have new behavior. The great power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're an entirely new person. You can't be like what you once were. That's what the apostle is saying. Now, 
<laughs> lest you think this is some overzealous, overbearing preaching point. Notice what the apostle said. Verse 17. I say and I testify in the Lord. Ooh, what does that mean? Testify in the Lord. This is what he's saying. I am speaking on the authority of Jesus Christ the Lord. That's what he's saying. So, Christian, young man and young lady, on the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ himself, stop faking that you're still a pagan. Stop acting as though you are still held by the cords of sin. Stop pretending to be a fake Christian. Stop thinking like a teenager who is in the darkness. Stop talking and texting and sexting as someone who has given themselves over to lasciviousness. You're an entirely new person. Stop hardening your heart as those who have not yet had their eyes opened. They have not yet had that grace of God break forth into their heart, and you have. Stop walking in the vanity of your mind. Stop living like your understanding is still darkened. Stop living as though you're still in the grip of the evil one. Stop behaving like the greedy, self-absorbed sinner you used to be. Why? Because you're actually learning a whole new lifestyle. Look at verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ. That's the, uh, the contrast with what we've all been looking at ton tonight. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. The point is this. The gospel changes everything. When you get saved, you don't just learn about Christ. You are learning Christ. You know what that means? You are becoming more like him. You are learning his desires. You are learning his behavior. You are learning his righteousness. This is learning by experience, not necessarily, or not simply and only mentally. It is an experiential, it's a life. I am learning a new life. I am learning Christ. This is what the gospel does. You are becoming more like him and less like the old you. So stop your old ways, you're learning Christ. May God give us grace to see that. Okay, I'm tired. That was a lot. But we've just begun. Because here on out, like tomorrow morning, unless Jesus comes back tonight, which that'd be much better. But if we come back tomorrow, we're gonna start on verse number 22, and we're gonna find out, well, I am a new person in Christ. So what does that look like? It gets better. So I, I end tonight. Which humanity are you a part of, the old or the new? Are you part of the old? Come to Christ. Talk to, talk to your, your youth pastor or the, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the adults who brought you. Talk to them. Talk to me. That's what I'm here for. Uh, if you're a part of the new humanity, then change the way that you used to live. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. May the message you've just heard be truth that transforms your heart and life. Christ loves you and wants you to grow in His grace through salvation and sanctification. If you've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, we'd love to talk to you personally. Please give us a call at 318-894-9154 or shoot me an email at mherpster at southlandcamp.org. Christ has promised eternal life and a life worth living if you will only believe in Him. 
May the Lord bless you in your pursuit of Christ-like living. Tune in next time right here for another message on the Southland Podcast.